Welcome to Christ in Prophecy and our series of interviews with some of God's prophetic voices to America. Dr. Al Mohler, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, has been called the reigning intellectual of the evangelical movement in the U.S. For several years, he has been sounding the alarm on the storm brewing in our American culture. As you listen to Dr. Mohler's insights, we first aired in 2020, consider how far we've fallen as a society in just the past year and a half. I want to begin really with asking you about your origins, how you came to be here, because yeah. we have witnessed over and over again that many Christian institutions, whether they're right. churches, denominations, even seminaries, have begun to abandon their scriptural foundations, even denying the Christ as He is revealed in the Word of God. Right. And so what has been your experience as you came to Southern and some of the challenges you faced early on even in your yeah. tenure as president? Well, when I came to Southern as a very young man, I was 20 years old. It was a very liberal institution. Yes. And uh, I really didn't know that uh, because you wouldn't expect that of a school that was named the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, Southern Baptist, not a liberal people. No. But that just shows us the temptation, and you alluded to this, of higher education. The, the temptation is to move into a critical mode, which means eventually you distance yourself from the founding convictions that brought the school into being. And of course, this is a very old story. You can look to the European universities all established within the Christian worldview and, and then growing antagonistic to Christianity. And in the United States, you can look at university after university, at a beginning, of course, most infamously with Harvard, yes. which was established for the training of Puritan ministers. That was the sole reason for its existence. And, uh, and, and then you look at the fact that uh, institution by institution, they, they followed the, same, the yes. same trajectory. And by the way, this is, uh, this is a modeling process. Uh, Higher educational institutions want to look like the prestige institutions, mm. you know. And so, if if the prestige institutions are the Harvards and the Yales and the Browns and the the Johns Hopkins, then other schools want to look like that. Yes. And pretty soon, you hire professors who look like that. And before you know it, you end up with a very liberal institution. And that's what happened to this seminary. Uh, conservatives in the SBC began to wake up to this in the 1960s and 70s, but it took them 20 years to gain control. And uh, they gained control in the very early 1990s Thankfully. when uh, a newly conservative board of trustees elected me as the institution's ninth president. And with a mandate uh, to bring this institution back to an unquestioned commitment to the faith once for all delivered to the saints and, and to the Bible as the inspired and inerrant Word of God. Well, I was going to say, under your leadership and through the Lord's blessing, mm -hmm. Southern as a seminary has grown to be the largest seminary in the United States. Yeah, actually the world, in the world. In the in world. In fact, right now there are more young men training for the ministry here than have ever been at one place and one time in the history of Christianity. They said, if, if, if you bring this institution back to conservative theology, you'll scare all the students off. But it's the liberal schools that don't have any students. Yes. Uh, all the students you find training for ministry these days 
are actually in conservative institutions. And that, you'd think that would be a parable, wouldn't you? I would think so, yeah. and I see many parables like that in Scripture. Mm -hmm. From a personal standpoint, obviously there were moments, I'm sure, of, uh, of great if, if not discouragement, then yearning to get through some yeah. of the trials that you were enduring. And so, how did you overcome, and, and how did the Lord yeah. help you to persevere through all of the circus that was swirling around you, some even yeah. internal to the, the institution? Well, you know, Tim, I've been president here for 26 years. I know. And I do want to tell you one of the best pieces of advice I was given when I was elected as a very young man. I was only 33 years old. And so, I had a very old man, he was a very wise man, and he said, they may out-money you, they may out-maneuver you, they may out-lawyer you, but they can't outlive you. Mm. Uh, they elected a 33-year-old president in order to say he's going to be here a while, deal with it. Yes. And you know, it takes time. Uh, you know, anything worth doing takes time. And uh, we had to go through some very lean years uh, before the Lord gave us the fat years. Uh, biblically speaking. And so we had to be willing to do that. But look, at one point, Mary and I, uh, my dear wife, we just gave it up and uh, knew that the battle was the Lord's because we weren't going to be able to pull this off. But God did. Yes, He did. And, and look, God used just wonderful Christians in local churches who understood the importance of defending the truth. And they wanted gospel ministers. They cared who was going to preach to their grandchildren. And uh, they made a difference. You've mentioned the word culture many times, yeah. but you talk through your daily podcast known as The Briefing, about examining the news from a Christian worldview. Right. So I'd like you to address what is a Christian worldview? To someone who is yeah. unfamiliar with that term, yeah. what is a Christian worldview and how does it differ from all others? You know, everybody has a worldview and you don't think about it until you have to. Mm. And so Christians throughout most of uh, Christianity and its history in the United States didn't have to think much about worldview because the worldview around us was basically the same as our own, or at least it was not confrontational. So there were people who might not have been converted, born again, believing Christians, but they agreed with us on morality. Mm -hmm. They agreed with us on the definition of marriage. Uh, they agreed with us on massive uh, uh, issues, and, and so much so that what we would call cultural Christianity was the dominant mode in the society. Well, you don't have to think much about worldview then, but when all of a sudden you realize there are people disagreeing with us. There are people defining marriage differently than we do. Yeah. There are people who use the word truth, but they don't mean by that word what we do. Then no. you have to think about it. Francis Schaeffer is uh, kind of my mentor in this, and uh, he was one of my rescuers when I was a teenager, famous Christian apologist. He's the one who introduced me to the word worldview. It simply means the picture of the world that we have, the, the, the lens through which we uh, interpret and decide and understand everything. So there's a Christian understanding of reality. There's a biblical understanding of humanity. Uh, a secular understanding of humanity is very different. When we talk about human rights and human dignity, we're not talking about something that just belongs to us because we're humans. We're talking about something that is God's gift to us because the Creator made us in His image. When we talk about truth, we talk about what Schaefer called true truth, which uh, means we mean it's true, not just for you, not just for me, eternally but uh, so. 2 plus 2 equals 4 for everybody because God created an orderly universe and revealed it. So, it, it, we talk about worldview now because we have to explain why is it that other people looking at a question like abortion or marriage or or sexuality, how could they possibly come to the conclusions? 
uh, that they come to. On the briefing, what I try to do is to help Christians to understand, look, almost every media report you get is going to be coming from a secular worldview. It certainly if, is. If Christians were looking at this story from a Christian worldview, how would we see it? Uh, that's what I do five times a week. Well, Dr. Millar, I think you would agree that one of the greatest threats mm -hmm. to our religious liberty in 2019 and quite frankly our constitutional order as a society mm -hmm. as it stands uh, at least today is the accelerating sexual revolution. Right. So how did we get where we are today? How did we wake up and find that the pot's boiling? It's not just starting yeah. to increase in heat. Well I have to go back to when I was 13 and my Sunday school teacher told me that I should read through the Bible. And uh, I never read through the entire Bible until I was 13. So I started to read through the entire Bible. I read it the way I read any other book. I started with Genesis. You know what I discovered very quickly? Human sexual behavior and misbehavior are not new. No, no. So just reading the Bible led to interesting conversations you know, with my parents, like, what does this mean? What is this? <laughs> and, uh, and at some point I realized God didn't have to say, don't do that, unless there were people who were doing that. And so when, you, when we ask the question, where did it come from, I think one of the things we have to recognize, uh, you know, Will and Ariel Durant, the famous historians who wrote the story of civilization, mm -hmm. they said that the first task of any civilization is to bank the, the raging river of human sexuality. And I think that's absolutely right. You can't have a civilization without banking that river of human sexuality. So when you find society, you've always found marriage, you have found uh, respect for the family, you have found uh, both illicit and illicit sexual behaviors, and it's been important for the civilization to exist that those rules yeah. be understood. And uh, one of God's gifts to His people, His covenant people Israel, was that He gave them the most superior laws. Yes. You know, in the book of Deuteronomy, they say, you know, in the book of Deuteronomy, God speaks through Moses to say, has any other people received laws like these? And it didn't mean, boy, this works out well. He meant, oh my goodness, evidently these are the laws that the Creator would give the creatures He loves. This is, this is what life is supposed to be about. The modern age has been an effort to try to undo all of that, uh, to try to unbank that river, uh, to turn to the autonomous individual. By the way, that's the big shift. The big shift in yes. the modern age is away from God as the ultimate reality to the human individual as the ultimate reality. And if the human individual is the ultimate reality, then I can determine whatever sexual morality I want. Uh, one historian looking at the modern age said that the whole modern age is just one long experiment in rationalized sexual misbehavior. So it, it's like uh, we have to understand that that human sexual misbehavior is not new. What's new is a society that says, we're going to commit suicide. We're, we're going to say, okay, do whatever you want. We're going to say, everything's normal. We're going to say, marriage can be whatever you want it to be. We're going to break the most molecular unit necessary to civilization, the union of a man and a woman, and, and the household that's created with the children that comes to them by procreation. Uh, we're going to break that and act like that's just a lifestyle choice. Now, you mentioned this by introducing the question as religious liberty. Yes. Well, there we have a huge problem because this new sexual set of liberties directly contradicts the teaching of Scripture. And, and by the way, uh, one of the interesting things is that wherever you find any religious system with a written set of rules, it's amazing that written set of rules 
it is not compatible with the sexual revolution. No, it's not. So it's it's it. That, again, I would attribute that to God's common grace. Just He's revealed in creation yes. uh, the the unit of a man and a woman in marriage and and the necessity of legislating sexuality. Well, the problem is, what are the laws going to be? And uh, increasingly, the laws are going to be that we have to surrender uh, to the moral revolution or the sexual revolution, or we're going to be outlaws. And so that's that collision between the new sexual liberty and religious liberty. And in the United States, this should be particularly troubling to us because religious liberty is guaranteed in the Constitution. The very first of the amendments. That's right. It's what's called an enumerated right. Uh, and by the way, the federal government does not give us religious no, liberty. They recognize, it respects they and recognizes religious liberty. But sexual liberty, it's not even in the Constitution. It takes a liberal court uh, you know, to come up with that. So we've got a huge collision, and uh, it's going to be tough going for Christians. We need to recognize that. You had touched recently on some of the dynamics in France, even with the, the burning right. of Notre Dame. And if we go back even to the French Revolution, as contrasted with the American Revolution, the emphasis right. on unfettered liberty right. in France actually led to a bloodbath and a nightmare of, of depravity, right. whereas the constrained and responsible liberty, I'll call it, That's here right. in the United States led to flourishing for a number of yeah. years and many, many generations. Yeah, it is interesting. You use the word liberty in France and the word liberty in the United States, and historically they've not meant the same thing. No. And it comes from two different branches of the Enlightenment. Uh, there was a radical Enlightenment that took place on the European continent, France at its epicenter, and there was a, a conservative Enlightenment that took place in Scotland and in, in England, the, what were Britain, what we would call the United Kingdom. And that's what came to the United States. And the founders of this country were men of the Enlightenment, but they were men of the English-speaking Enlightenment. Yes. And so liberty to them meant ordered liberty. And that's why our understanding of liberty produced a constitution, uh, one of the most well-argued uh, constitutions imaginable, the longest existing uh, ruling constitution, or I should say governing constitution, uh, in the history of humanity. And uh, whereas in France the word liberty meant individual unfettered liberty. Yes. And uh, oh, and by the way, the, uh, the the Enlightenment in the United States grounded liberty in God. You know, it, it, yes, it, it is did. that God has, the Creator has endowed us with certain inalienable rights. Uh, in France, there was no Creator. It was a secular enlightenment. And so it's just a, the individual unfettered liberty. And of course, that led to the terror. It led to the French Revolution. And by the way, France is not a stable society. No. Uh, you know, de Gaulle established the Fifth Republic <laughs> you know, back in the late uh, 20th century. Uh, and it's had government after government after government and riots on the streets right now. It's a very different understanding of liberty. It is, I think it's fascinating, and I won't make this into a question, but just Alexis de Tocqueville mm -hmm. uh, coming here as a Frenchman and observing what is it that makes America work. And he had some poignant observations, even on the role of religion in our society, and I'll again call it that restrained and ordered liberty right. that we uh, made work so very well. That's what he wanted to happen in France, but it didn't. It did not. Dr. Moeller, you were one of the original signatories of the Nashville Statement right. in 2017. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is yeah. about and what it has done in the last couple of years? Yeah, I was involved also in the drafting of that document. Yes. The need for it is, uh, is extreme. Um, from time to time, Christians have had to release a statement saying this is what the church believes. 
and uh, you know, in the very earliest years and centuries of the church, it was what the church has to believe about the person and work of Christ, uh, mm. the doctrine of the Trinity. But we're now at a point where the, uh, the intellectual rebellion around us is, is so widespread, we have to define what it means to be male and female. We have to define what it means to be a man or a woman. We have to define uh, sexual morality in an age of such horrifying confusion. And so the Nashville statement is intended just to be that, a statement of a biblical uh, framework for sexuality and gender. We're in a society that, you know, is calling boys girls and girls boys. Mm. Uh, there so needs to be confusing. some document, and that's why that was put together. And by the way, there'll be new things we're going to have to address we don't even know of yet. I can only imagine, and uh, don't look forward to that day. No. I know that you have great admiration for Sir Winston Churchill, who yeah. seemed destined to lead his nation mm -hmm. and, and indeed throughout the world in World War II. You've also cited modern prophets such as Alexander Solzhenitsyn who lamented, mm -hmm. men have forgotten yeah. God. What advice would those who have come before offer mm -hmm. us today, and do you see anyone with the clarity voice to shake the scales from the eyes of our society? You know, I think part of the problem in the last part of the question is that in the age of social media and um, the, the way cultural communication happens now, it's hard for there to be a single voice about anything. That's one of the problems. Uh, with uh, Churchill, one of the great strengths that Churchill brought was he could control the microphone. That's true. And uh, then he had something that, uh, that was worthy of saying. As would later be said of him, he marshaled the English language and sent it to war. He became the lion of the British people, or as he said, the British people were the lion, I just got to give the roar. <laughs> Uh, it's harder these days. I mean, I think of the great age of the past when, um, when, when people would, uh, would debate genuine ideas. These days we're down to 140 characters. So I think that's a part of it. But when you think about the Churchills and the Solzhenitsyns and the other prophetic voices of the 20th century, I think they would say, this is what we told you would happen. Hmm. You know, uh, one of the greatness of, uh, of Solzhenitsyn was when he said, men have forgotten God, he said that at a speech given at Harvard University. Yes. And they were not very pleased to hear that. No, and they also weren't pleased that he drew the consequences saying, when you look at the United States and the Soviet Union, your cultural relativism falls apart. I was persecuted by one and rescued by the other. Yes. They're morally unequal, which uh, the liberals at Harvard had been denying for a long time. That kind of moral clarity is what we desperately need today. I would agree with you absolutely mm -hmm. that we lack for those voices, which is why mm -hmm. it's so valuable, and as Dr. Reagan has identified, that we mm -hmm. do have some prophetic voices. Now, much like John, they're crying in the wilderness because there's so much other clamor of noise, but I appreciate mm -hmm. your voice and through the briefing and other outreaches mm -hmm. that uh, you have a great impact on mm -hmm. our society and beyond, really worldwide. Well, I appreciate that. We have to keep speaking. We have to speak into the wind. Yes. Uh, when the winds howl at us, the fiercest. We just have to talk louder. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Christians need to listen. I don't mean they need to listen to me. What I mean is they need to listen. They need to listen to discern the truth. And uh, I, I, I think that's becoming increasingly difficult. And quite frankly, I will add to that, they need mm -hmm. to listen and they also need to speak themselves. Yes. Far too often, I believe, many Christians have been silent. And you wrote a book yeah. saying, we cannot be silent. That's right. And so we mm -hmm. cannot be silent in the midst mm -hmm. of the noise 
we have to speak clearly, sometimes boldly, right. lovingly, but always truthfully. And right. that is very important. What do you see as the cultural atmosphere of our society in 20 years and beyond if the Lord stays His coming? 20 years seems like a very long time, almost yes. eschatological, you know, when you think about it. But you've uh, been here 26, and I have. it's only a short I have, span. But you know, um, same-sex marriage, as it's called these days, it's been legal by court mandate across this country only since 2015. Uh, you know, so a child who's four was born before uh, the Obergefell decision legalizing same-sex marriage. That's how fast this revolution's moving. If you just think about it, same-sex marriage uh, is now taken as a great moral fact in this society so much that you would think it had been in place 50 years ago. So when you ask me, I'll tell you, yeah, the thing's coming. We don't, I, don't, I don't have to have uh, a lot of insight to see this. Uh, polygamy, what's called polyamory. I mean, once you begin to redefine marriage, and we're way down that road, then eventually you can't say no to anyone's proposed revision. If consent is the only moral issue a secular society recognizes, then you can get over anything uh, in the name of consent. And, uh, and that's what we're going to see. And, and I think what perhaps is going to endanger Christianity in this country more than anything else is the realization, and, and I'm trying to figure out how to say this in a way that Christians will hear, they, have been and are now and will be coming for our children. Mm. They already are. And in the, in the future, they're going to be coming with new <clears throat> tools to use against us. They get to our children right now in ways no one had to worry about a generation ago. They get to our kids by smartphone. And by the way, we buy them and put them in the hands of our kids. Uh, mm. Say, here, 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 use this. Well, we are just inviting that hostile world to come in and take over their minds. Yeah. Uh, and then when we send them into any number of places, from schools to other places, we're saying we're just handing them over. And, uh, and they're coming for our children. They're, they're, they, they will, I, I predict, they will redefine child abuse or child neglect in such a way that parents raising their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord will be considered deficient parents. As we witness mm -hmm. the world growing darker day by day, I'm reminded of what Pastor Adrian Rogers once said. Mm -hmm. uh, he used to say, it is growing gloriously dark. And he was referring yeah. to the sign of the times pointed to in Titus 2.13, which says mm -hmm. that we should look for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. As you sound an ominous note, and as we recognize the signs of the times pointing right. to an even darker future within our culture, society globally, what do you say to people who are looking for hope as Christians regarding the things to come? Tim, you used exactly the right word for Christians. It's hope. And so people often ask me, are you optimistic or pessimistic? And I say, neither. A Christian cannot be either. Uh, uh, we know too much about the world to be optimistic, uh, too much about sin. And, uh, but we know too much about God's purposes to be pessimistic. Mm -hmm. uh, the Christian mode is not optimism or pessimism. That can, you know, wax and wane with our mood. It's hope. And that hope is Christ. Hope has a name. Yes. You know, Jesus Christ. Our blessed hope. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and so we, we actually can, uh, can go to sleep at night with all these concerns so real 
And we're not ignoring them. We're not denying them. We go to sleep at night because Jesus Christ is Lord and because he is coming. And because the coming thing is his kingdom and the going thing is the kingdoms of this world. And so we just need to remind ourselves of that. And, and yet Christ has not yet come uh, to, to claim his church and to inaugurate his kingdom in full. And so evidently we are here right now for a purpose. And so that purpose is to do what Jesus commanded us to do until he comes. And, uh, you know, the signs of the times are, uh, are incredibly ominous if, uh, if you're just looking at the world. But the signs of the times can never be ominous uh, for someone who reads the Bible and, no. and believes in Christ. Uh, they can be humbling, but not ominous. Well, I cite quite frequently a Jewish mm -hmm. proverb that says, if you think the world is going to end tomorrow, plant the tree today. And yeah. Dr. Moeller, I will say this, uh, even as someone who looks mm -hmm. forward to the Lord's soon return, yeah. you have embodied tree planting. And what do I mean by that? Mm -hmm. You're not planting an arbor full of trees, literally, mm -hmm. but you are raising up young fruit bearers. And I think that's Amen. really what that proverb would have us to do. And right. so until the Lord does come, uh, many more will bear much fruit because of their interaction here at Southern, because of you pouring into them. Mm -hmm. And I include myself in that uh, blessed mm -hmm. number, but thank you very much for the time of sitting down with us today and reflecting on not just the signs of the times, but as you said, the blessed hope, which is not a concept, yes. it is a person, and that is Jesus Christ. Well, amen. It's been a privilege to talk with you, Tim, and uh, I think we've talked about things that really matter. Yes, we have, always. Thank you, sir, very much. God bless you. Godspeed. Have you ever had your children threatened? Well, we just heard Dr. Mueller warn twice, they're coming for our children. The sexual revolution that threatens to destroy civilization in its mad pursuit to replace the moral lawgiver with unfettered individual autonomy is picking up speed. As proof, check out this clip from the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus, ominously titled, We're Coming for Your Children. We're coming for your children. Pretty blatant threat, isn't it? The sexual perversion movement isn't even trying to hide their strategy anymore. And why should they? Just gauge society's reaction to the song, which attempted to explain away the seriousness of their message as merely humorous satire. Western society now stands firmly behind the LGBTQ movement, lauding it as a moral and a human rights issue. We're not on the way to fulfilling Romans 1, we're there. Well, Dr. Muller has keenly sensed the cultural forces leading society towards judgment, proving that we are living on borrowed time and that our blessed hope is coming soon. He wrote about these rising threats in his latest book, The Gathering Storm. We'd like to send you a copy for a donation of $25 or more, which includes shipping. The Gathering Storm identifies these rising threats and calls Christians to action. To get your copy, just call the number on the screen or visit our website. For those who hold to a biblical worldview, we know that God's divine purpose and natural order for sexual union remains between one man and one woman for life. Jesus reiterated what he set down in Genesis 1, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female, saying, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Well, that means that fornication, which is sex outside of marriage, 
adultery, and homosexuality are all sins in need of repentance. We are all born with a sin nature that pulls us towards different types of rebellion against God and His moral law. Fortunately, the Bible reveals what is and is not sin, so that along with our conscience and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, if saved, our children can know the difference between right and wrong. And no matter who the sinner is or what they've done, we can be forgiven, saved, and cleansed by placing our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So, San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus, we're coming for you as well, with the gospel and in prayer, calling out, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. 